gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? This is it! Five, six, seven, eight. You've got talent. Let's see what we can do with it. You're gonna make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. I'm going to be honest with you folks, it, this is going to be a tough podcast, <laughs> to say the least, because today we're talking about easily one of my favorite scores of all time in a, in a movie, musical, musical, theater, whatever you want to call it, uh, Carousel is up there. Of all of Rodgers and Hammerstein's work, this remains my favorite score. It is also a problematic show. It was a problematic show when it came out initially. It was a problematic movie. (laughs) And watching it again in 2019, it is a rough watch in 2019 uh, through this lens as well. But we're doing it because it's, it's, I think, one of the most important movie musicals to talk about. Probably doesn't match with the quality of the the show itself. I, I have to say that this movie probably not as great as the stage show is, but a um, lot to discuss. And I've got a lot of interesting takes. My co-host today, Tracy Danoff, has some great takes as well. Tracy has a, a just an amazing knowledge of musical theater, and um, you know she's got some really great points that she's going to be making later in the show as well. The film's cast, I mean, you've got a pretty strong cast uh, in this film overall. I mean, Shirley Jones, who, you know, this was, by the way, coming off of the Oklahoma movie, which uh, I make a little bit of a joke about later on, about my confusion of seeing this with the, um, you know, after Oklahoma and and wondering if the two were connected in any way. But you've got uh, Shirley Jones as Julie Jordan, uh, just at the height of her singing powers Gordon McRae playing Billy Bigelow reuniting with his Oklahoma co-star does a you know phenomenal vocal job here acting well we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> uh, Cameron Mitchell Jigger is playing Jigger Barbara Rook who I found out later on was John uh, Williams's wife I had no idea that was uh, that they those two were married but they were so that was pretty cool um Claire Mae Turner playing Cousin Nettie. Gene Lockhart, the great Gene Lockhart, playing the Star Keeper and Dr. Selden. And, uh, and, and Robert Roundsville, rounding it up with Enoch Snow. Um, interesting enough, one of my favorite, uh, most iconic ballet dancers uh, of all time, Jacques Demoise, is in this. And he is, plays the um, 
the the carnival barker during Louise's ballet. Just a giant in the ballet industry, and to see him in this, uh, first of all, seeing him, I, I had never seen him before as a young dancer. So to see him in his kind of his height and his of his dancing incredibleness, uh, that was a real thrill for me. And then also Susan Lackey playing who plays Louise later in this movie. You know, funny thing with her is she didn't do a lot of movies. I think she only had like five or six movies um, in her in her resume. But she was a obviously a classically trained dancer at the age of fourteen. Uh, the only other movie musical that I saw her in was The Music Man, where she plays um, the, the, the Mayor Shin's daughter and does a great job in that, too. But uh, she just crushes it in this movie as Louise. And that, that ballet scene, which we're going to talk about uh, later on in the po- podcast, is just absolutely gorgeous. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Uh, this movie was filmed, this film, I should say, was made in Cinemascope 55. And uh, that is a you know, significant for a couple of reasons because it is what uh, kind of started a whole movement of filmmaking. And it was also what led to Frank Sinatra quite possibly leaving the film, which we'll talk about um, as well. Um, a lot of it differed from the initial stage show. Some of the, the, I guess, sequences were out of order, so to speak. I mean, the movie is basically told in a, as a flashback rather than um, the, the moments happening as they come. The directors thought that the audience, because the movie is you know two hours long, they were afraid that the second that Billy dies midway through the movie, that the audience would walk out thinking that that was the end of the film, and you know it's pretty dark. So they wanted to kind of show those heaven scenes to begin with, to to basically you know say no 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 don't worry the death we know is coming, you know <laughs> like there's more to this, and whether or not that was a good move. Um, that's, that's up to you, uh, as well. But, uh, the world premiere was held in New York city. Um, and, uh, there has been much speculation about its box office success. There are some people that have said that it was a success. Others have said it, it's a failure. Um, the movie did receive mostly positive reviews. Uh, but again, the, the debate over how much this movie actually grossed is definitely up for discussion on that end. Um, I've talked to a lot of people about this film and about this musical, and a lot of them kind of feel the same way, where it is one of the most gorgeous scores ever with one of the most problematic storylines to talk about. And, and and we will talk about that and all those issues uh, in this podcast as well. So we're going to take a little bit of a break. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by my wonderful co-host, my guest co-host this week, Miss Tracy Denoff. And we are going to discuss all things Carousel. But first, of course, the trailer. For two days only, Rogers and Hammerstein's Carousel returns to the big screen for a special 60th anniversary event. Relive the American classic. Featuring an exclusive interview with Shirley Jones. January 8th and 11th in select cinemas nationwide. Tickets on sale now at fathomevents.com. Available now on digital HD. And we're back. And I am now joined by my amazing co-host, my guest co-host this week, Tracy. Now, Tracy, I'm not going to say your last name because I don't want to pronounce it wrong. Could you say your last name for me? Sure. It's Danoff. Danoff. Okay. Because the reason I was about to say Tracy Danoff, and I wanted to make sure I did not get the 
the accent or um, pacing of your last name wrong. So it's Danoff. Danoff, yes. There you go. Okay, so Tracy Danoff. And I have to tell you folks, the reason why I brought Tracy on is that, um, first of all, she knows more about musical theater than I could possibly ever no. Oh, I'm only because right I'm now. older. No, not by, by like a year. You know? <laughs> um, and uh, also because, uh, you know, you've you've done some podcasting in the past. And I, I just think you have a really great knack for this. And I've been, you know, pushing you for to do your own podcast for, for Onstage Blog. And hopefully that's coming up soon. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that's why I wanted to have you on. And, and, and especially to talk about this movie, Carousel, which there's so much to unpack about this film. Yes. And let me just start by asking you, Tracy, you know, when, when was the, can, can you remember the first time that you saw this film? What were your initial thoughts, you know, with this film? And actually I should say, oh, in the overall piece of Carousel itself. Well, my relationship with Carousel is very complicated. Really? <laughs> um, because I really feel like I have a love-hate relationship with it. I love mm -hmm. the score. I, I just think that the music is so beautiful. Um, the movie itself, the you want to say the book or the script of the movie, since we're talking about a movie and not a, a musical, um, is problematic. Mm -hmm. And I think I saw, the first time I saw the, the movie, I was probably very young, uh, probably maybe like nine or ten, um, because back when I was younger in the D.C. area, they used to show a lot of old movies in the afternoon, and my grandmother and I would sit and watch old movies. And um, so I believe that's probably when I first saw it. And back then, you know, being a kid, you think, oh, pretty music, pretty dancing. Mm. Um, I don't think I really understood the story that well as far as uh, some of the darker aspects of it. Um, then I got older <laughs> and I saw it again in my 20s. And I thought, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute, <laughs> what's going on? Did not here? see that before, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, obviously most people who are familiar with the show and the movie musical know that there is a domestic violence aspect to the, uh, to the piece. And, mm. and that was extremely troubling to me. So um, I have not ever seen the the... Uh, Hungarian, I believe it's Hungarian play that the piece is based on. Yeah, I think it's pronounced Lily. Lily. Compare, but you know, some sometimes I look at pieces pieces and I wonder what goes through a writing team's mind when they see a source piece and say, "Yes, I have to make that into a musical." Right. <laughs> That's how I feel about this one. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I remember seeing that. Um, I remember seeing it the first time. Gosh, I think it was on like Turner Movie Classics one night. And this was like when I was in, I think, high school or going into high school. Um, and I had seen Oklahoma relatively soon before that. And just from seeing Shirley Jones and Gordon McRae on screen together, I thought, in a musical, I was like, oh, is this a sequel to Oklahoma? Like, I had no idea. <laughs> um and then I was like, oh, no, this is definitely not that. And uh, it completely turned, uh, you know, much you know, darker because I, I actually caught it kind of at the end of the the act one sequence. So I guess you could say. Um, and uh, yeah, no, definitely didn't just like yourself. Like I didn't catch a lot of the things, especially when we talk about domestic violence, the treatment of women, you know, a yeah. lot of the just problematic dialogue in this movie. Yes. And uh, 
watching it recently, I was just like, oh, oh, <laughs> like every other minute there was like, oh, no, no, um, yeah. we don't we don't say those things anymore. We don't you know, it's it's a tough movie to watch in a, in a 2019 lens. Um, Definitely. For many, many reasons. Um, it, interestingly enough, though, and I don't know how you feel about this. It is still, though, my favorite Rodgers and Hammerstein score. Would say it's up there for me, mm-hmm. definitely. I I wouldn't say it's my favorite because. What is your favorite? Let me ask you that. Sound of Music. Ah, uh, yes. Music Girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, but it really is so beautiful, and and that's what always attracts me to it. I have a hard time watching it, mm-hmm. um, but I can listen to it all day. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's one of those things where the you know the I mean maybe it's the the opening you know, carousel overture that does it for me, but man, it's just, and then like, there's other songs like if I loved you and yes. um, Mr. Snow, then I'm just like, Oh, that melody, like uh, some of the orchestrations. I'm just like, this is like just a gorgeous, gorgeous score with such a problematic um, story that I'm just like, it's so it's, it's, you're just very conflicted, you know, watching this, this, this film for me. Mm-hmm. Um, other thought that I had while watching this film, I don't know if you noticed this too. The main looks great. Yeah, it, like... it did. It did for the most part. But I tell you, some of those backdrops were pretty oh, yes. obvious. Yes, and... we'll, we'll talk about that in the design. Yes, yes definitely. <laughs> but it um, did look beautiful. Yeah, yeah, just like there were just some some moments there where I'm just like, wow, that looks. You know, I'm, I, I where I'm. I live in Connecticut. You're in Pennsylvania, right? Oh no, I'm in DC. Well, DC. I always get, I always get tense. Yeah, I always, I always think you live in Pittsburgh, and I know that's wrong. But you're in DC, so we're both Northeast type of people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just something that's so like, ah, oh, yes, that's New England right there uh, that I absolutely love. Um, something, something that really stuck out to me watching this, and I don't know if you caught this, the, some of the language that's used in this movie is really rough, especially yeah. towards women. I mean, in the first five minutes of the movie, you hear women being called hussies and sluts yes. and that that was really jarring for a now but i can't even imagine what that was like for 1956 when they made this movie um I and i was also wondering how accurate the word slut would be for the time period right the, the show is set yeah the movie is set in it's it seems out of place to me as well as offensive yeah <laughs> and but yeah it seems like really out of place yeah. What what other general thoughts did you have about this movie? Um, well, you know, I, I, it bothers me. I'm sorry if I'm stammering, but sometimes Please. this movie makes me so mad. Um, <laughs> let's talk, let's talk about that. What makes you so mad about this movie? Cause I'm, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you. Go ahead. Because it's supposed to be, um, this story of redemption. And to me, there's really no redemption here. He never, mm. Billy never says he's sorry. He's actually asked if he's sorry for hitting his wife. And he says, I'm not sorry for anything. And Mm. to me, it's like, well, then what is bringing us to this point? Why? What's the point of watching all these events up until now if your heart hasn't changed? The only thing, and spoiler alert for those who haven't seen the movie, but the only thing we actually learn in the end is that they actually did love each other. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like it gives a free pass to the fact that he was hitting her. Yeah, I, I'm 100% agree with you. And I guess that mystery of like, oh, they they loved each other. 
I mean, for me, that was never really in doubt. You mm -hmm. know, it was that was never a mystery that needed to be solved mm -hmm. for me. And I think you're 100 percent right is that, you know, if it, if it is about seeking redemption and seeking forgiveness, he doesn't do it like mm -hmm. and there's never a punishment. I mean, yeah, he, you die, but you're in heaven and, you know, you're granted this one day to come back, even though initially you said you didn't want to. Right. And you know, it's like, you know, other than dying, I guess. Mm -hmm. Where is the punishment? Where is the, you know, oh my God, what did I do? I'm so sorry. It just, that never happens in the, in mm -hmm. the film or in the stage show, to be quite honest with you. Right. And um, that, that I think is problematic. I think also problematic before we get to that, that notorious line that everybody kind of knows the show for. Yes. There are a lot of other lines in this movie though, that are so, I just can't believe that there was for 1956 for, for, you know, now, Right. I also got to see the 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 recent Broadway revival, and some of that dialogue is still on the show. Mm -hmm. Just the way that women are treated in this movie is so bad. I, I I wish there was another word for it, but it's it's just terrible. I mean, the way that the men talk to these women, and we could say a lot about well, that might have been the social construct of you know nineteen uh, turn of the century Maine, mm -hmm. but still, it's like oh. It's it's really offensive. And my first thought watching it now as an adult, um, my first thought was if I met a guy and he spoke to me in that way, there'd be no way I'd be interested right. in marrying him or even seeing him again. And I feel like Billy is so disrespectful to Julie just from the get-go. And she's just sort of simpering and accepting it. And, you know, to me, it, it just... It, let's just say in 2019, that would not be too common. <laughs> no, no. And, and I mean, literally in the first scene, like right after, you know, Julie gets on the carousel, like, I mean, the sequence of events is that Billy comes and sees Julie, his boss comes and berates him. And then he like hits her on the, the, the back of her ass yes. to say, get out of here. And I'm like, yes. oh my God. And then he realizes he doesn't have a job. And I, I guess he attempts to rob Julie and Carrie, like, he asks them, well, I'm going to go get a bit, uh, some beer. What money do you have? Do you guys want to pay for my beer? And it looked, I was like, oh my God, is he robbing them? Like what? Now see, I never took it like that. I oh, okay. took it as him just trying to be the big man, trying mm. to be intimidating. Mm -hmm. um, I never took it as him being, you know, trying to rob them and be forceful about it. I think, right. he's, you know, just being the alpha male <laughs> yeah definitely yeah definitely yeah but like but, even go ahead oh, go ahead i'm sorry yeah no go ahead you go go oh, with your talk go ahead say, yeah. in, in respect to the way all the women all the women are treated in this movie it if you look closely and i didn't even notice this until the second time i watched this segment um the ballet with louise and the um the man from the Starlight Carnival, who mm. is Jacques Dambois. And there is a point during the dance, or I guess maybe it's right before, um, one of the other dancers, a female dancer, runs over to Louise because Louise has picked up her cape and she grabs the cape away from Louise. Mm -hmm. And Jacques Dambois runs over to kind of protect Louise, but he kind of gives the dancer a little shove and and then he grabs like a scarf from her costume to give to Louise, but he's very rough with her, very physical with her. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like 
dawn on me until I watched it again that this was a theme in this movie that it that there were you know it was rare to see a woman treated with respect in this movie with the exception of possibly cousin Eddie I she seemed to be the only one that got respect from the men Mm -hmm. but even with Carrie and Mr. Snow and the way he reacts to her situation uh with Jigger you know it's like he flies off the handle and he speaks to her in a really terrible way right so what was interesting was that like the way that when I first saw the stage show um and then I thought what they were trying to do is portray like Enoch going through this big transition once he finds success in business where he starts out as this really nice romantic person respectful person in act one and then makes this transition to being basically a rich jerk um and therefore you know kind of settling into the the you know alpha male submissive wife type of role later on in the show um but watching this movie that you don't get that transition doesn't it's not as um jarring it's not so much of a leap because you definitely see hints of that early on in their relationship in the way that that carrie and mr snow are talking to each other so that was interesting too to notice i was like oh i guess enoch was always kind of a jerk i i, I don't know yeah. <laughs> like, it was very weird yeah <laughs> well um just out of curiosity i mean um did you did you feel as if like, like, did you watch it with your wife? I guess that's the question I wanted to ask. You know, what's funny. Um, I have, I've seen this with my wife. I, I didn't watch it this time around for this podcast with my wife, but, um, we, we have definitely watched in the past, but I, I do ask her sometimes in movies like these, like, Hey, if I said that to you, how would you react? <laughs> and, um, I know in the past we've talked about this. If I, if I treated her in any way, shape or form, the way that Enoch treats Carrie in some of these scenes and also the way that Billy treats Julian in some of these scenes. Um, she has told me like you, we would not be together anymore. Right, like that, right. that wouldn't happen. It would just be an interesting, um, it would be interesting to get that feedback. I did not watch it with my husband, um, but I think he would know better. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We, yeah. That's why, you know, I mean, thankfully your, your husband and I, we're, we know better. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's talk about this infamous line because I think anytime when we talk about carousel and, and you know, there, the, that anybody talks about this movie and in this, in the show, they always bring up this precise moment where, you know, it's after Billy comes back um, and and has this interaction with his daughter and is trying to give her a star, I guess, a gift. And she says no. And they have this back and forth. And he ends up slapping her on the wrist mm-hmm. before disappearing. And Julie comes, runs out and says, oh, my God, what happened? And Louise says, you know, she's describing the situation. But then she asks her mom, is it possible for someone to hit you, hit you really hard and then for you to not to feel it at all? It almost feels like a kiss. And. And then Julie says, yes, it is actually possible that that could happen. Now, there's been a lot of debate about that line. Um, does it does it condone, romanticize, try to um, apologize, I guess, apologize in a way for domestic violence? Or is it literally talking about the instance of Julie knowing that it's quite possible that Billy's ghost had come back and that it, that interaction had occurred? Like, so let me let me first get your take on this, Tracy. What did you think of that line and, and how that line has been, you know, 
investigated and discussed um, throughout its existence, basically. Oh, I've always hated that line. Um, mm. and, and I know a lot of people do. I always took it as her making excuses for him. And maybe her love for him was so strong that she never felt the pain. Mm. But to me, again, it's sort of sweeping it under the rug. Right. So, you know, it's like, well, you know, I love him and he doesn't really mean to. And, you know, which sadly you hear sometimes from domestic abuse survivors. Oh, he doesn't really mean to. You know, he really, you know, it didn't mean anything. He's sorry, Um, which we know in this case, Billy is not sorry. Mm. But um, it, it, I, I guess for the time period, maybe it was acceptable. I don't know. Um, but I, it's very troubling. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I've read a lot about this and there are some people, mostly men who say that it has more to do with the fact that it's a ghost and Julie knowing that Billy's spirit is somehow, you know, it's possible that his spirit came. I, I, I'm just like, that's a, that's a too far of a leap for right. me to make because this is not a supernatural show in any right. way, shape or form. So like that, that notion that ghosts and spirits are present and that could happen doesn't make sense to me. I I'm, I I'm, I'm with you on this. I think it's mostly a line of Julie, you know, somehow trying to make sense that, um, you know, that, that domestic violence, violence is, is somehow okay and things like that. But even more problematic than just this line, I mean, that there are, there's dialogue in this entire movie before this that does that too. So, oh. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. I mean, there's a conversation with Julie and Carrie and, you know, cousin Nettie that, you know, this stuff is happening in their marriage and, and somehow Julie's like, well, I love him. And that's, that's the, that's all there is to say. And, and, you know, it's just like one of those like, wow, okay, that's, that's, you know, it's all over this movie other than just that line. Yeah. Well, the other line that makes me crazy is um, when Mrs. Mullins says to Billy, when she's trying to get him to come back to the carousel and she says, I hear you beat her. And he said, I don't beat her. I hit her. Yeah. There's, you know, no difference. Not a big difference. No. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. And it, it and he uses that justifi- justification again when he's um, up in heaven and he's never called on it. Mm. But again, that's the whole piece where he, you know, nobody, I mean, they question him about it, but like you were saying earlier, there's no repercussions. Right. It's funny. I've never seen a show. I have to, I have to go back and check this. But I, I, in all the times I can remember seeing this show, I've never seen the Starkeeper played by a woman. That would be interesting. And I think given the dialogue between these two, given what the character of Billy, um, especially after he hits Louise and they have that conversation of, you know, there you go again. Mm-hmm. Um, having that role played by a woman would change the entire dynamic of that scene. And yeah, I just it's one of those things where you're just waiting for what's what's the true punishment, okay? If right. if we get to see what heaven looks like and you know, it doesn't look that bad other than the fact that you're, you know, shining stars and things like that, um what's the punishment for your actions? Right. And I think you're 100% right. This movie does in a sense 
condone and romanticize these types of relationships. And I think for 1956, that was wrong. And I think for, you know, 2019, it's definitely wrong. It's definitely wrong. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you, but it's interesting enough that anytime this, this piece is defended in a way, uh, or tried to be like, no, no, it's, it's fine. And, you know, we're trying to do it in a different way. Nine times out of 10, it's, it's from a male perspective. I mean, this last Broadway revival was direct, had a practically an all male creative team. Mm. And when they were asked about this, you know, Jack O'Brien, who, you know, to his credit, he's, he's a great director, um, couldn't really come up with a good answer of this. And they, in, and in the revival, they definitely tried to, to make Julie and Carrie stronger characters in a way as much as you possibly can. But this is Rodgers and Hammerstein. Like there's, you can't change a lot of what these shows are. And uh, that's, I think that those glaring things in this show um, is what led to the fact that Carousel had a very short run on Broadway this last time around. It was only open for, I think, around a year mm-hmm. and uh, got practically ignored by the Tonys. I mean, it did win two mm-hmm. uh, awards, but um, largely was ignored. And that, you know, so I think that's, there's a lot of reasons for that um, on that end. Um, anything else, Tracy, before yeah. we move on to our next section, please? Well, on, on that note, I was just going to say, um, I, I saw the, the Lincoln Center production. Mm. Um, and of course, I've seen the movie, but I did choose not to see the Broadway production. I tried to see a lot of New York theater, and this is one that I took a pass on just because of that subject matter. So I think you're right. I think it's, you know, people don't want to see that content not right. presented in that way. Yeah, yeah. it's just, it's one of those, like, especially, I mean, this is kind of not, not really related in such a way, but, um, you know, now with ticket prices being the way that they are, I mean, I'm not going to spend a hundred plus dollars per ticket to go see a show that I'm really going to have, you know, I'm really going to struggle to like, right. um, even though, you know, it's, it's got a beautiful score, so to speak and, you know, amazing cast, but, um, a problematic storyline. So I think, you know, if, if tickets were cheaper then I think more people could probably tolerate going and, and, and sit there and watch this piece but yeah no for the the prices the way they are today i'm like no 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 like, you know, like yeah I, i'd rather go see them and have fun with you know yes i I, I totally agree with you all right folks moving on so we know that watching these movie musicals sometimes there are moments that just give us chills goosebumps um you know emotions running through us so to speak and I call those chill scenes, good or bad sometimes, because sometimes there's also scenes where you're like, ugh, that didn't work at all. And kind of gives you, I guess, the shakes maybe or twitches. So, um, Tracy, let me ask you, did you have any chill scenes watching Carousel? I have two. One, Ooh, okay. good, one good and one, one bad. Go for it. Um, the good one is watching Louise dance on the beach. Mm. I feel like the moment you see her it brings a lightness to the movie that it didn't have before it was it was almost like a respite from all the ugly stuff Mm. until until she you know has a run-in with the kids and that kind of goes south but up until that point just that small little segment she's so free and she's so light and her dancing is so beautiful it just that really is a chill inducing moment for me right um the bad chills. <laughs> and actually, I don't even know if I should say chills or I should say laughable is Billy's <laughs> death scene. 
Billy's mm. death is the worst. I'm sorry for those of you who love the movie or love Gordon McRae. I have no problem with Gordon McRae, but honestly, I feel like in this movie to begin with, he's chewing the scenery. Um, when he dies, it's so overly dramatic, so exaggerated that it feels false. And even Shirley Jones, um, Julie's reaction, it's like there's no connection there. Um, and I cringe. It's just for me, it's a cringe-worthy moment. There, actually, you know what? That's a good title. I'm, I'm going to call this from now on Chill Moments and Cringeworthy Moments. Uh. So there, there you go. Thank you for, for finding the right words there. Um, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm 100% in agreement with you. Yeah, I completely forgot about the death scene and, and just how, first of all, I mean, you know, <clears throat> what's interesting is that they changed it to for the movie, they changed it to an accidental falling on the knife rather than committing suicide. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, a lot of people thought was, you know, obviously probably too dark for movie audiences, but um, just the way that he falls and it's, yeah, just from everything, the dialogue to even the way that I, you know, and, and I, I love me some Shirley Jones, don't get me wrong, yeah. but even the way that she reacts to his death is just very like, huh. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, and, and the other thing is the way she steps away to let Mrs. Mullins, you know, have her turn at morning. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Back on up. That's my husband. You know, right, why, exactly. are you, why are you here? And that's that's a that was a lingering question of mine. I'll just ask it right now. Like, where does Mrs. Mullins come from? Like they're all coming back from the clam bake. She wasn't going to the clam bake. Like she just pops up out of nowhere. And I'm like, oh. I know. I was like, I mean, okay, Mr. Bones, there you go. I hate like, to say it, there were no cell phones back then, so who knows? No. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I don't know exactly which town this takes place in in Maine, but let's just assume that maybe it's Portland. Like, that's a big, you know, city. Like, for her just to, like, be, like, oh, just in the area and, you know, there in time is just, like, that's one of those movie tropes that always drives me nuts is that, like, during a, like a climactic death scene, like, there's always people that just happen to be around Yes. You know, in that area, and they just come running up, like, what's, officer, what's happening? Oh, my God. Like, it's just uh, that... That always drives me nuts. And yeah, that was <laughs> popping up out of nowhere was definitely one of them. Um, I had two chill scenes. I, I I mean, I guess you could say like any of the problematic dialogue and scenes, those are definitely cringeworthy moments for me. But um, for chills, um, If I Loved You is always going to be one of those chill moments for me. I don't know what it is about that song. I just absolutely love it. Um, I was lucky enough. I'm, I'm actually in Chicago recording this right now with you. And I was lucky enough to be here a couple of years ago when the Lyric Opera did their production of Carousel uh, with Laura Osnes and Stephen Pasquale uh, in the leads. And his soliloquy and uh, If I Loved You duet between the two of them was probably the best I've ever heard it performed. And it was like, okay, that's what it's supposed to sound like. Um, and uh, I'm always going to love that song no matter what. And so just hearing the two of them sing it is it was definitely a chill moment for me. And then interestingly enough, the other chill moment was the the boat scene where they're all on the boats going to the, going to the clam bake. Uh, I don't know why. I just love that that moment where I'm like, oh, look at all those boats in the water. Like, <laughs> and it's you know probably because of my childhood. Like I, when I was a kid, my parents had a boat, so maybe, maybe that's what it is. But um, I don't know. Just something something about that scene, you know, of all these these boats going across the bay and the, just the way that it was shot and things like that. I'm just like that that whole sequence. Um, I just absolutely love. So those are my two. Uh, chill scenes there as well um folks we know that some of these movies don't always answer all of our questions and some mysteries are left unsolved by the end of them so i call this lingering questions tracy let me start with you 
Are there any lingering questions that you have about this, this film? Well, a couple. One I've already mentioned, what the heck did Julie see in Billy in the first place? Mm. Um, maybe he was a good looking guy, but uh, that would have been it for me once he opened his mouth. Um, the other one is they're never really clear on how Carrie and Mr. Snow reconcile. You know, they have this fallout because Jigger is messing around with Carrie mm-hmm. and you know, they get into, I don't, I don't know if I would call it an argument. He's berating, Mr. Snow is berating her. And then he kind of, you know, takes off when they start the treasure hunt. You never really see him again until that moment where he's marching down the beach with the kids. So there's never really any explanation as to how they patch things up. Because at that point, he was saying, um, I can't marry you. You're, you know, you're a loose woman, basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Wow, and, you're right. Yeah, so they never explain that. The other thing is, I mean, I know probably some people don't care, but I want to know what happens to Louise. And you really don't get to find out. You just yeah. get the you get the sense that, okay, all of a sudden she has this inner strength because Billy is there to whisper in her ear, but you don't know what you know, what happens with her. You know, it's interesting. I'm so glad you brought that up because I always thought to myself, like the more compelling story is Louise's childhood. Mm-hmm. Like growing up, like I would much rather see the show from that perspective. Um, and, and her being the daughter of such a problematic person in town and, and how she's treated. I mean, we get kind of a slice of that yes. in the way that she interacts with, uh, you know, the snow kids and, and, and things like that. But I'm like, man, there, there's something compelling there. And, and credit to Susan Lackey and her performance in this movie. Um, when she, at the end of that, that ballet, when she's like, I hate you, I hate all of you. Yes. It's like, Oh man, like I want to know more about this. I want to know more about her. Um, and I'm, and, and it's just one of those like, Oh God, if they only had done more in her perspective, I, I probably would have loved this even more than I, you know, had. So um, yeah, no, great, great, great point by you. Any other lingering questions? No, that, those were my big two. Those are the big ones. You yeah. know, my I had a couple, and it, it really was a lyrical uh, questions I had. Like, for instance, in the When the Children Are Asleep song. Let me ask you this, Tracy. It, when you're dating your husband, when you two were dating, mm-hmm. if he ever said to you, hey, just to let you know, if I love you the way that I love you today, uh, <laughs> then things are going to be great. Is that is that a nice thing to say? Like, it I, is not. I was listening to it. I was like, wait, if I love you today, this, the, if I love you the way this, I was like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> it was just like, how did that line come? Like, that's not romantic at all. Right. I would have been uh, like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> like, by the way, once we get older, I mean, there's a chance I might not love you as much as I do right now. Like that just didn't, that didn't play well to me. And that in a more realistic tone, I think that would have been a major red flag. And I think the song comes to a, a halt right there. Um, now, to to Carrie's credit, she does get to say it back to Enoch later in the song, but still, it's mm-hmm. still a weird line. Um, <clears throat> also, and, and this kind of goes to the whole like condoning, you know, um, abusive relationships and settling for your role within a marriage and things like that. But what's the use of wondering is is a cringeworthy song for me. Yes. What's the use of wondering if your man is good or bad? It's he's your fella and you love him, and that's all that needs to be said. Like that. I that that type of dialogue I've seen in a lot of the um you know 
you know, cheesy Hallmark, you know, movies that are, that are lifetime movies about domestic violence. It's a classic, like, Hey, you've got it pretty good. Like you're, you know, you're, you've got a great life. Your husband, um, he's providing for you, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yeah, so what he's, he's a bad person, but you love him. So, you know, who cares? And I'm like, that's, that's terrible. So did you, did you catch that too? I did. And actually that would be a song that I would cut if I had the choice <laughs> because Spoiler. I, yeah, yes, yes. I feel the same. It's again, I feel like this whole movie is a big, um, I don't know, excuse for mm -hmm. domestic violence. It's like, oh, what's the he's wondering? You know, does it does it really matter? Because you matter. love him, even if he's hitting you. You know, it. Ugh. Yeah, doesn't like, work for me. I just want to reach through the screen and shake these these people and say, yes, it matters. Like, yes. Oh, and, stop and, it. And, and I was reading an article um, that Shirley Jones. I guess Shirley Jones was interviewed when she had a book come out several years ago and she was saying that this was one of her favorites and i thought how how right, right. <laughs> so maybe it was a mindset back in that day that luckily we're all a bit more enlightened now yeah i mean i i once started an article and i stopped writing it because i was like i'm gonna get so much heat for this but i basically said is julie jordan the biggest movie musical or biggest musical theater villain of all time mm. because she in in twice in this movie she can she encourages and condones abusive domestic violence um instances she does it with her daughter and then she does it with all the women in the town and basically saying like stop thinking <laughs> you know like if you love your guy it's okay and i was like that's i mean she's a villain in a way that she's not being evil and and knowing that she's evil but she's just basically that person that I guess, you know, just the, I don't even know how to put it is kind of this flag bearer of these types of relationships. And, and, yeah. and it's just like, no, yeah, no, no, no. She's definitely the enabler. And as you were saying that, I was thinking, you know what? I'm mad at Julie because yeah. she did say to her daughter, you know, she did condone it to her daughter. And, and as a mother, I'm not a mother, but as a mother, you would think that she would say, don't ever let any man put a hand on you like that. And right. she doesn't do that. It's, it's one of those, again, I think in, in this, in this show, I would love to have known what, what Julie's past was. Mm -hmm. And we don't get any of that, obviously. I mean, there's no, I mean, in the show, it kind of alludes to her working in the, in the mills and stuff like that. But in terms of how she was brought up and good God, if you, don't have a problem with this type of abuse. What did you see or what did you experience as a child growing up? Mm -hmm. And that's even darker thoughts to think about. So, um, yeah, no, it's just, that was a thought that I had, uh, in a quick question that I had is, is Julie Jordan, one of the great villains of musical theater of all time, crazy to think about, but it might be true. Um, another lingering question that I had, Tracy was this, this movie takes place in Maine yet. No one in this movie has a Maine accent at all. No, they really don't. There's a lot of Midwestern uh, yeah. that you hear in this, and especially the phraseology and the the idioms that you hear in this film too. It's mm -hmm. a lot of from the Midwest. It's just like really like they couldn't figure out like Maine at all. Yeah, like, yeah, they have to have dialect coaches. I mean, right? That, yeah, it was a little weird. It was weird because I mean, 
especially for a Rodgers and Hammerstein movie where they did it for basically every other single one of their movies. Like, you know, um, Oklahoma, they did, they, they got those dialects down, you know, mm-hmm. King and I, uh, sound of music, uh, even flower drum song, which is the entire movie's cringeworthy for me as an Asian, but, oh, um, <laughs> uh, but for this movie, especially someone who did grow up in New England, I'm like, I don't hear a single authentic main accent or even the attempt of one uh, in this film at all, which I just thought was was very weird. Like, why? Like, why don't we go? Why don't we do that? But anyway, um, there you go. So those are my lingering questions. Any others that you had? Nope, those were my lingering questions. Awesome. <laughs> all right, so folks, moving on. We know that with these movie musicals, a lot of planning goes into them, a lot of development. And when it comes to casting, a lot of people are typically considered and sometimes offered roles and then rejected them or things come up every now and then. So what I like to do is ask the question of, would this movie have been better, had been better, with their second or initial or alternate choice for some of these roles. Now, when we discussed this earlier, Tracy, you had a guess of, of one of them, because I've got two of them here Yes. Um, for some of these roles. So I think I'm, I'll let you go ahead. Guess which one I think I'm going to say first. Well, I know that their first choice for Billy was Frank Sinatra. Exactly. So very famously, Frank Sinatra was set to be in this film um, and, and dropped out. And the reasons for that are still up for de- discussion. There's debate there, so to speak. There's a mystery well, of... You know, was it because they, they had to film it twice or was it because of Ava Gardner? Um, what did you hear about? What do you think about that? That's what I heard, that he that Frank Sinatra used the excuse of not wanting to have to film it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and the account that I read is when he got on set, he saw two cameras because they were uh, using two different technologies, uh, Cinemascope and Cinemascope 55. And... He, apparently he said to the powers that be, I'm, I'm only getting one, sa- I'm paraphrasing, but I'm only getting one salary. I'm not shooting two movies or something mm. to that effect. And he left. Um, but the rumor has always been that um, Ava Gardner was shooting a movie on location at the time with Clark Gable. And she called him and she said, I want you here with me. And if you don't come to be with me on set, I'm going to have an affair with Clark Gable. So, <laughs> so he hightailed it out of there. <laughs> and, and reading what I've read about those two, I don't know if that's true. It may not be, but certainly wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> exactly. I mean, for what I know about Ava Gardner and that relationship, um, which was just, I mean, they've made movies of that relationship and how toxic it was. Mm-hmm. Um, that that wouldn't surprise me either way. Ironically enough, they ended up finding technology where they didn't have to do that. They could just convert the film. Um, so, and, and funny enough, so if the reason was truly because Frank didn't want to film each scene twice, um, that was actually cleared up in post-production and they didn't have to do that anyway so they actually were able to release it in cinema scope and regular you know scope i guess um, <laughs> without having to film each scene twice which i thought was pretty pretty funny to regardless but so yeah let me ask you this question so would this movie have been better with frank sinatra in that role instead of gordon mccray i i would be interested to see a frank sinatra a frank sinatra playing billy bigelow but because it's the subject matter is so troubling, I'm not sure. I think there would mm. be elements. I think maybe 
the performance, some of the performances would have been better. I mean, I think Gordon McRae has a lovely voice, but uh, I'm a Sinatra girl. I always have been a Sinatra girl. I think mm -hmm. his voice is wonderful. So I do think he would have performed the music beautifully. Um, I think, you know, he's never been considered like a great, great actor, but he's always been considered a pretty good actor. And I think he could have pulled it off. And I hate to say it, but Gordon McRae, he really, he had his moments. You know, there were some moments that were really nice, but I felt for the most part, he was just overacting it the whole time. Right. He, his, his performance wasn't necessarily believable. And no. I think with Billy, there has to be this, this darkness, this toughness and, um, yeah, Gordon just doesn't nail it. And I think Sinatra would have actually probably done that a lot better. I think just from his upbringing, you know, in Hoboken, I mean, th I think that would have been a really interesting performance for him. And and thankfully, what's interesting is that there is uh, the recordings that he did of some of these songs before he left the production are still in existence. Like you can actually listen to him um, sing If I Loved You, um, you know, for this film and, and to hear what it would have actually sounded like would have been uh is actually quite good what's interesting enough though i think i don't know if his soliloquy would have been good as gordon mccray's because i always think soliloquy requires this this extra power almost operatic in a way mm -hmm. and even in his most powerful i don't think sinatra ever got there mm -hmm. the way that gordon mccray does but um yeah i just that style of singing that that sinatra had um, especially in that era um, was, mm -hmm. I think, really interesting. So I'm in agreement. I think this movie definitely would have been better uh, with Frank Sinatra. Now, the other one that you didn't know, which maybe you did, but maybe you didn't, uh, but the second one I had is for the role of Julie. And very famously, one of the actresses that was heavily considered instead of Shirley Jones was Judy Garland Oh, for wow. this role. Oh. Uh, and uh, the, reason, the, the reasons are unclear why it didn't go uh, to Judy Garland. I don't know if this was around the time where uh, Judy's, you know, personal demons started to take hold of her, but um, she was also, I think, in her early 30s by the time this movie came around, too. That might have had something to do with it as well. But um, let me ask you this, Tracy. Would this movie had been better with Judy Garland instead of Shirley Jones? I don't know if it would have been better, but I think mm -hmm. she probably would have given a really good performance. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could see both of them playing that type of role the the kind of um well julie seems very meek you know in the beginning and starry-eyed in love and um and basically putting up with the abuse i could totally see judy garland doing that i agree I, and, and judy garland i mean this was an interesting period for her because i mean you know she had done star is born and things like that so she was doing more mature darker roles and 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 more mature roles um and yeah, I, I, I would have been very interested in seeing this. I do think Julie, Julie, uh, Shirley Jones does a great job in kind of the first half of this movie. Uh -huh. And uh, as that idyllic young, you know, uh, person. Uh, and I think the transition for her later in the film is a little rougher. And I think for someone like Judy Garland probably would have done that better. Uh, but yeah, very interesting. I don't know if it would have been better, but it definitely would have been interesting I, i'm very interested to to see what that have been like so um all right so folks we know that when it comes to movie musicals four areas need to be firing on all cylinders for it to truly be a great movie musical and that of course is the singing the dancing the acting and design 
So what we like to do here is go through each category and really rank them one through 10. How do we feel about uh, the singing, the dancing, the acting, the design? One being the, the worst, obviously 10 being the best. So Tracy, let me ask you this. When it comes to the singing in this movie, one through 10, how did you feel about it? Oh, I, I would give it a good 10. Hmm. I really enjoyed, I mean, like I said, I'm not a Gordon McRae fan, but I think he really did sound lovely. Um, and Shirley Jones, you know, you can't, it's hard to go wrong with Shirley Jones. Right. Um, I thought she was great. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the singing, you're hundred percent right. The singing is definitely, um, is fantastic. Yeah. Keep going. Go ahead. Oh, and I was going to say, and you can't forget Claire Mae Turner as cousin Eddie singing yeah. Never Walk Alone. I mean, that. It, that really, and actually, that's one I should have uh, noted as a chill experience, a chill moment, because really, her singing that is just a, a wonderful moment in the movie. Mm, definitely, definitely, yeah. No, there's. It's really tough to find a terrible singer in this movie, which you know I'll talk about a little bit later on. But um, yeah, no, there's the singing. I think is one of the strong points of this film. Uh, I, I, I think there's there's weird recording moments when, especially like during June is busting out all over. Where like the ensemble sounds different in one section, and then they completely so it sounds like you know ten people are singing in one section, and all of a sudden it sounds like fifty people are singing in another. Um, so it's weird. It's a weird mixing level on that end. But other than that, yeah, I think for the soloists and stuff like that, I think it's it's all all around an excellent um, singing. I gave it a nine. So you and I are kind of right there on the same wavelength. Um, how about dancing? With this? Dance, how did you feel? Dancing, I gave a nine. Really? Yeah, I thought the dancing was fabulous, and um, and maybe because I'm so stuck on that one scene with Louise, mm. to me that's it, it's just so lovely, and that's a scene that I could watch over and over again. I agree. I I, I actually I I went the other way. Uh, I gave the dancing <laughs> a six, oh. um, a little bit lower because. I didn't feel other than than Louise's ballet, which is choreographed by Agnes DeMille, who famously also did the Dream Ballet for Oklahoma, um, and is you know, a phenomenal ballet choreographer. Uh, the rest of the movie was done by a guy by the name of Rod Alexander, and he had done he did Judas Busting Out All Over. He did um, some of the other choreographed uh, choreography, and it just wasn't great. I guess you could say. I, you know, the the Louise ballet is phenomenal. And then the rest of the movie is kind of like, eh, okay, like that's, that's okay. So I thought that, you know, that, that brought down the total average, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm right with with you. I mean, that, that, that ballet sequence and it's, it's such a legendary sequence that in every, you know, um, uh, iteration of that scene that I've seen since each choreographer talks about the, the reverence that they have for Agnes DeMille and how it's like, it's, it's, it's like, you don't want to touch it, but you want to try to do your own spin and, and still not, you know, drop the ball, so to speak. Uh, you mentioned the, the Lincoln center performance that was performed by uh, Tyler Peck in that, in that role. Um, absolutely just incredible, incredible. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then when, what Justin Peck did, uh, her brother, actually, Justin Peck did for the Broadway revival was breathtaking. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and actually the choreography overall, uh, was breathtaking that he did in that as well. So yeah, I gave it a six on that one. <laughs> All right. So um, acting wise, let me ask you this, Tracy, how did you feel about the acting in this movie? Um, I give it between a six and a seven. <laughs> and I think I'm being a little generous. Um, 
<laughs> I, I, I'm as much as I love to hear Shirley Jones sing. I don't think this was her strongest performance acting wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I've mentioned Gordon McRae several times already. Um, and I thought, you know, it, it was it was too much. It was just too much. And I, you know, I have to say, it always makes me smile when I see Gene Lockhart in a film. And mm. but he's he's pretty much the same in every film that I've seen him in. I mean, you could take that character and you know it's it's basically the same personality as the judge from Miracle on 34th Street. So mm-hmm. um, but you know, it, I, it's I mean, they did their best. Right. <laughs> The other thing, the other thing, getting back to what you were talking about regarding Sinatra, um, and I know I'm being hard on Gordon McRae, but to be fair to him, he was, from what I read, he was out in Vegas doing a a show, uh, like a nightclub act out in Vegas when they had Shirley MacLaine call him Mm -hmm. because they were in need of a leading man and their leading man had just left. And he, he said, give me a week and I'll be out there. Um, so he, you know, he kind of came in after everything was set up. So that might have also contributed to some of the issues with his performance. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I gave the acting a, you know, a six. And, uh, you know, I think there are good performances. I think there are performances that kind of nail the character as much as I don't like some of the characters mm-hmm. in this. They, they do. I mean, you know, Robert Roundsville who plays Enoch Snow and, yes. um, you know, even though I don't like that character, he does it pretty well. Uh, Cameron Mitchell's Jigger don't mm-hmm. like that character, but he does it really well. So yeah. But I think to your point, yeah, Gordon McRae just, yeah, not, not much better in Oklahoma. I'll put it that way. He's much, yes. much better in Oklahoma. Definitely. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> uh, all right. So how about design? What do you think about the design, costuming, scenic, everything? Oh, I I love the costumes. Um, I was looking at these these beautiful costumes and looking at that tiny little dress that Shirley Jones was wearing and thinking, oh my gosh, you know her her waist looks so tiny in this tiny little <laughs> costume. How did she even get into that costume? Um, but I the only costume I did not like was Billy's. Mm. I just thought it was way over the top. Just because he was a carnival barker didn't mean he had to look like a clown. And that's how I felt he looked. Right. Um, But I thought everybody else looked terrific. Um, As far as the scenic design goes, I mean, like we were saying before, I mean, you know, uh, we were having this conversation before that Maine, you know, Maine is beautiful and it, um, you know, using the beach was really beautiful. Some of the backdrops were a little iffy. Uh, you know, some of them definitely looked like backdrops, but for the most part, I thought that they did a pretty decent job. So, um, I don't know. Initially I was thinking an eight, but I'm thinking between a seven and eight. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I give it an eight. And I, to your point, I think the costumes, yeah, the costumes look gorgeous. Um, didn't, didn't even have that thought about Billy's costume. And now that you say it like, yeah, a hundred percent agreement with you on that one. Yeah. Um, but the weird thing for me was with the scenic design, they did this really weird usage of both the location and then going into a soundstage studio. So, mm-hmm. for instance, during the If I Loved You sequence, um, that's obviously shot on a soundstage. But then, like, leading up to it, they're filming on location in Maine. And then there's this weird cut where, like, the gentleman who plays um, one of the... the um, 
I think his name is Mr. Bascom. Like he's one of the, the, um, Oh, the owner of the mill, the owner of the mill. Mm-hmm. He's walking towards them and saying, Julie, and they just cut to him walking towards them and it's on location. And then they, they cut back and he's on the soundstage again. It was just, it was very weird mixture of what they filmed on location and what they decided to film um, in the studio space because they actually did film in Maine. Like that's the cool thing is they actually, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, much of the, the on location other than Billy's soliloquy scene and Louise dancing on the beach was filmed in Maine. And uh, I was just weird that they just chose some moments to film um, on, on set and then, you know, on location and, and, and rather than in soundstage. So that was weird for me, but yeah, overall I thought it looked good. I gave it an eight as well. So um, there we go. Uh, folks, we know that when it comes to these movie musicals, especially ones that are based on stage uh, shows and stage plays, sometimes not every song makes the final cut, or sometimes songs are added, and then sometimes some numbers are just too good. So I like to call this section numbers that we needed, numbers that we could do without, and then, of course, if we've got five minutes to watch this movie, what song or number are we fast-forwarding to? So, Tracy, let me start with you. Are, were, there, were there any numbers that we needed in this film that, that weren't in, that weren't um, included, I should say. I think it would have been nice to have included your queer one, Julie Jordan. Hmm. I think it gives you a little insight into her personality because she's a pretty one dimensional character, to be honest. Right. Um, So for me, it would have been, you know, a little bit of insight. And it also explains why she doesn't tell him, you know, tell a Billy that she loves him because she keeps things to herself. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I was, you know, it's funny. They, I looked this up. They only cut two songs. Um, mm. And that was this one. And then also blow high, blow low uh, was also cut. Uh, and I'm agreeing. I a hundred percent agree. I think your queer one, Julie Jordan would have been a good pick to keep in there. Cause I think it definitely gives, more depth to their relationship. So yeah, hundred percent. How about numbers that we could do without? (laughs) Well, we already talked about what's the use of wandering, Mm, which I could definitely do without. Um, I also kind of felt like um, stone cutters cut it on stone was just filler. Yeah. We could have lived without it. I agree. And there's actually that, yeah, that stone cutters cutting on stone. Um, yeah, definitely. That was a, that was one that was just like, yeah, I probably don't need a song right there. Like that's that's okay. We could probably lose that, um, yeah. so to speak. So yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you as well. Um, how about like I said, you got five minutes to watch this movie. What are you going to fast forward to? Oh, I think you already know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think Louise's ballet and, yeah. and specifically yeah. the moments with uh, Jacques Dambois. Mm-hmm. Just watching him dance. It's just, it's beautiful. In fact, my attention is on her up until he enters the scene. Mm-hmm. And I, and my focus just always goes to him. He's got such clean lines and he's so graceful. I mean, he's one of the great ballet dancers and uh, figures of, of the Absolutely. 20th century. I mean, it's, it's incredible. His legacy is amazing. So um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's funny. Like I'll, I'll, my first choice was if I loved you. Cause again, I just love that song, but also yeah, Louisa's Ballet is just one of those things. And I'm, it's funny because it's the same thing for me with Oklahoma. Like, I go right to the Dream Ballet. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's an Agnes DeMille thing. I don't know. I think it might be. <laughs> I'd like to think <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. Like, I, and we're going to do this movie someday on this podcast. But 
uh, American in Paris. I mean, that's another one where it's like, I'm going right to that ballet sequence, that 15 minute ballet sequence. So um, I don't know, something about those dances that just, I can't, I can't do without them. So um, folks, we know that with these movies, sometimes they're made in different parts of the century and, um, and they're based on times sometimes even before that. So sometimes we find that there are timeless things about these movie musicals and also um, things that not have not aged as well. And we'd like to call those dated uh, with this movie, there's a lot of that. So let's start off with the good. Tracy, what did you find that was timeless about this film? The score. Mm. I think the score, it, for the most part, you know, with the exception of some of the the songs that we said we would uh, remove, I think the score is timeless. In fact, I, I was talking to a friend last night, telling him that I was going to be doing this podcast today, and he told me something I didn't know. Did you know, Chris, that there is a, well, we call it soccer football team in Liverpool that uses You'll Never Walk Alone as their team song. No, really? Yes. And you can go on YouTube and the whole stadium is singing this song. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. And apparently it was recorded in the 60s by Jerry and the Pacemakers and uh, I believe the the manager of the football team got wind of it, and it just snowballed from there. And it's apparently quite common to sing at football games. I, I did a little reading on it, and they said that other teams have also picked up on this song. Oh, my gosh. You're absolutely right. I just looked this up right now. The, yeah. It's the Liverpool team. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Isn't it? <laughs> so I, that's pretty timeless. <laughs> that, that, hey, that's that's proof in the pudding right there. Wow. That's incredible. What else did you find timeless about this movie? Um, well, you know, I'll be honest. I find most of it <laughs> to be pretty dated. <laughs> so for me, it was pretty much the score and um, the choreography as well. Yeah. But the again, as we've been saying all along, the subject matter, uh, the, the way women are treated, um, to me, that just doesn't translate for today. Right, right. I mean, for me, what was timeless was, you know, Maine in the summer. I mean, I just, there's something about going to that state um, on the coastline during those summer months that's just absolutely just gorgeous. And they captured that really well in this film. Um, Carousels, period, I think are timeless. (laughs) But you see it so briefly, you know, it's interesting. I almost forget that there is a carousel. It's one of those movies where it's like if they could just retitle this for some way, I mean, yeah. maybe maybe name it something else. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just think, you know, it, it's funny that, you know, we have season passes to uh, Six Flags New England. And the first thing that you see when you walk in is a carousel that was built in 1910. Um, like that's the first thing you see when you enter the park. And my son is obsessed with them so like he that's it's amazing so it's just funny and the, and it, you, those are always gonna be around i mean i don't care how old we get you're always gonna see merry-go-rounds and, and carousels and, and whatnot um also what i found timeless about this movie clam bakes i mean maybe not maybe not in the way that they do in this film but um i've been to uh both clam bakes in the north and what are called what are low country broils in the South, which is basically their version of clam bakes. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's always going to happen. Just the, <laughs> those types of meals. All right, <laughs> Tracy, yes. what's dated about this movie? Well, I'll start. Go ahead. You start. I, as I said, just uh, the attitudes towards women. Mm-hmm. And and also the um, 
the notion that it was really important uh, to worry about your reputation. You know, she, um, Julie talks about how in the beginning she's never going to get married. So that's why she can't go dancing with Billy because uh, she has to worry about her reputation. Mm -hmm. And who thinks about that now? Right, right. So to me, that's definitely dated. Um, but I think the piece as a whole is just really a dated piece. <laughs> I 100% I agree. I think the other than that and, and, and everything that you just said, I guess the only thing I could find that was data was like carnival barkers, like oh, carousels. <laughs> like, yes. You know, we, we still have carousels, but no one's like barking them, I guess. Yes. <laughs> yes. And also the use of, of the word kid, calling yes. kid. <laughs> that, that to me is always weird when I hear that in a movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you were, when you were dating your husband, if he had called you kid at any point in your relationship. <laughs> Is there something wrong? Like, what, what are you thinking? <laughs> oh man, you're 100% right. Oh, I didn't think of that. Wow. Yeah. So, definitely a problematic movie, folks. Oh gosh. All right, moving on. So, with this podcast, we like to give out awards because that's what we do, and you know, this is a very prestigious, esteemed award that we like to give out. So, we have three of them on this podcast. One is called the Barbara Award, named of course after Barbara Streisand, as who we feel is the best singer in this movie. On the flip side, we also have what's called the Russell Crowe Award, which is goes to the worst singer in this movie, or least least great singer, I should say, because sometimes that happens too. Uh, of course, named after Russell Crowe from his notorious, infamous performance in Les Mis, which we'll get to in this podcast down the road as well. Uh, and then finally, the Bumlet Award. Now, for those of you folks who have no idea who Bumlet is, he is a character in the movie Newsies. And if you watch the number of King of New York very carefully, he is the person spinning on the fan at the end of the movie, landing and doing a perfect pirouette. Uh, and his the dancer, his name was Dominic Lucero, who sadly passed away. And I wanted to name this award after him. As for a ensemble secondary character, extra background person who just absolutely kills it in this movie who is memorable and you can't stop thinking about that person um you know after you see it so tracy let's start with you who gets your barbara award for carousel well uh initially i was going to be a tie between shirley jones and clara may turner mm. but now that i'm thinking about it i think it's clara may turner nice I mean, she, she just kills it I agree. I agree. Uh, I, I gave it to Shirley Jones because I just think Shirley Jones, this is like her, I mean, she's 22 years old when they made this movie, kind of at the peak of her vocal, like just power. And, um, you know, this is obviously before Partridge Family where, you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I gave it to Shirley Jones because I'm just like amazing. And, and I won't lie, like this, I saw this along with Oklahoma right about like, 11, 12, 13 years old. So she was definitely one of my first movie crushes Aww. as a kid. So I was like, I gotta, I can't, I gotta show my love to Shirley John someplace. Okay. Um, don't don't our, blame you. Don't blame you. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Tracy, on the flip side, who is going to get your Russell Crowe award for Carousel? You know, I really had a hard time with this one because mm. I really felt like everyone did a great job. Um, you know, I could I could take the easy road and say Gordon McRae, but actually I thought he sounded really lovely. I, I just didn't like his acting. And I thought everybody else really sounded really nice. So I, I'm afraid I don't have a, a Russell Crowe award this time wow, around. Oh, <laughs> okay, good. Well, hey, that, that sometimes happens. I mean, you know, you, you get, especially with some of these more classical uh, golden era 
you know, movie musicals. I mean, yeah, there's, they weren't rolling the dice necessarily with the way that people sang. Um, you're not going to get a lot of Pierce Brosnan performances like in Mamma Mia no. uh, with, with movies at this era. Um, so yeah, just like you, I had a really tough time trying to find a terrible singer in this movie. So I get, I, I just basically said, who did I feel was the least great singer in this film? And I, I ended up on, on Barbara Ruick who played Carrie. I mean, that was really the, the person that I settled on because there's times where she kind of settles into a more character sound rather than a sincere sound. Uh, but kind of cool trivia note I found out about her was I did not know that she was married to John Williams, composer of Jaws and Star Wars. Oh. Yeah, crazy. That's crazy, crazy. crazy. Wow. And then tragically, I mean, this is kind of a dark to say, but she died of a um, cerebral hemorrhage back in 1974. So, um, yeah, so unfortunately, I am giving her my Russell Crowe award for this, but much, much respect to Barbara Wook. I'm sorry <laughs> to say that. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, did not know that she was married to John Williams. So that was kind of cool trivia note to find out. All right. So, Tracy, who is going to get your bumlet award for Carousel? Well, um, initially, it was Jacques, Jacques Dembois. But now that I think more and more about it, um, that little snow girl <laughs> the, the littlest girl uh of the snow children that picks up her foot and hops on one foot <laughs> i just think she's adorable yes. and 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 it's such a charming scene um and i and you for like a split second you feel like louise is accepted just from that one little action mm. i agree that's like that was a great that was a great pick by you. I did not, I, I noticed that and I kind of dismissed it later on, but yeah, now that I think about it more and more, yeah, I really like that moment. Um, yeah. Roger Hammerstein's musicals did a great job with little kids. I don't know what it is. I mean, yeah. same thing in sound of music. I mean, it's for some reason, the youngest kid is just always like the most pure and innocent and, and wonderful person in, yes. in the family, <laughs> so to speak. So good, good choice by you for me. It was the dude, I, I kind of, I, I don't think he has a name, but like during June is busting out all over, there's a guy, other than the sailors and the fishermen, there's a guy in a suit with a hat and flowers. I know exactly who you're talking you about. You know who I'm I, talking about, yes, right? Yes, I noticed him too. Yes. Like, I'm, and I started to think to myself, is he like the best guy in Maine? Like, is he the nicest <laughs> you know, guy in this movie? Because um, you do see his a little interaction with the woman that he's, you know, courting, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And they do have some very sweet interactions there. So I'm like, you know what? He might be the only good guy in this movie. So I'm going to give it to him. <laughs> good choice. <laughs> so Let's whoever that guy is, <laughs> the student hat guy with the flowers during Juno busting out all over, you're going to get my award <laughs> uh, for this movie. All right, Tracy, final question I have for you. Should this movie get a remake? No, please. <laughs> Just leave no. it alone. Yeah, just leave it alone. In fact, I, I went on IMDb and I did see something that look, I, I don't remember if it's a pre-production or it's it, it suggested that there might be a production of this. And I'm thinking, I was thinking at the time, no, just it's it's not a good idea. I mean, it would need major rewrites, excuse me, if if they decided to do this now, like if it was like a carousel live <laughs> or something like that i mean i just don't think it would go over 
Yeah, no, you're actually, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're probably referring to the uh, Hugh Jackman rumored um, film. So uh, uh, a couple years ago, Hugh Jackman stated that this was something that was in the works, uh, wanted to do a remake of Carousel. And he actually strongly lobbied for Anne Hathaway to play Julie Jordan. Uh, so it'd be Hugh Jackman and, and Anne Hathaway. Um, and it's, you know, that was a couple years ago. It still hasn't obviously gotten off the ground. Don't think it's going to happen with those two people. Um, but yeah, I'm agreeing. With, I a hundred percent agree. I don't think this is a movie that you need to remake, not because the movie, the initial movie is hallowed ground or, you know, things like that. It's just a problematic story that doesn't need to be repeated. Um, and you know, the, the Rogers and Hammerstein organization, to their credit, is extremely protective of their properties. Mm -hmm. So to the to think that they would allow, you know, major tinkering to be done with this property is, is just not going to happen. And that's why you saw what you saw with the Broadway revival last year. Um, so yeah, I'm agree. I agree with you 100%. I don't think this should be remade. And maybe just you know left alone for a while. Like we're okay. We've we've had enough carousel for a while. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll 50 years from now we'll we'll we'll, we'll bring it back maybe <laughs> <laughs> well I, unbelievable I, yes I, I was gonna say i've had my no thank you taste <laughs> <Duh>. <laughs> i love it i love it well tracy thank you so much for doing this today i really appreciate it oh well thank you for having me this has been so much fun oh my gosh and of course like again you once again you've proved exactly why you need to have your own podcast uh um <laughs> <laughs> which I'm going to continue to push for and continue to tease. Uh, and, and hopefully we'll be able to highlight it on the Onstage Blood Network uh, going forward. Um, really quick, I mean, is there any type of social media handle that you want to promote? Like if people want to get in touch or follow you or anything like that, can people get a hold of you someplace? Oh, well, they can always find me on Facebook, uh, just at Tracy Greer, which is which is my unfortunate middle name is Greer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and um, I'm also, you can find me on um, Twitter as well, but I'm, I'm working myself up to Twitter and Instagram because as I said at the beginning, I am old and I know <laughs> that I'm a little late to the game. I, I know that you know, Instagram's a young person's game, um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm working on it. I'm getting there. <laughs> I, I'm a hundred percent with you. Believe me. I, and I, I'm, I hate Instagram. I hate Twitter with all my passion, but <laughs> I have to use it for the blog. And it's, it's, it's like, it's awful. Like, I just can't stand it. I'd, I'd much rather use Facebook nine times out of 10. So, um, and I, I'm going to tease this right now, folks, because I mean, Tracy and I have definitely been talking about doing, you know, this podcast and, um, other movie musicals. And I'm just going to say right now, the next time that you hear Tracy on this podcast, which will hopefully be sooner than later, we are going to do bells are ringing yes. Yes. because it's, first of all, is it, you said it's one of your favorite movie musicals. One of my favorite movie musicals. And it's not one that a lot of people know about or watch. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and, and truth be told, I've never seen it. Oh, <laughs> you're breaking I, my heart, Chris. No. <laughs> I know, but that's why I'm so excited to do this podcast with you. Because first of all, it's it's a movie musical that I've never seen, um, and one that you love. So this is going to be, I think, it's going to be a great podcast when we finally do it, uh, and that will definitely be coming up sooner than later, folks. In case anybody's a huge bells are ringing fan, just like Tracy is. So there you go. Um, just as always, you can find all these podcasts on the Onstage Blog Network at onstageblog.com. You can also follow us on Podbean, Spotify, and now, it was actually announced yesterday, we are now finally on iTunes. 
which is huge as well. So you can find us on the Outstage Blog Network on iTunes now, which is crazy to think about. So it's uh, we're getting out there. It's growing. And uh, this the movie musical shakedown. This is happening every single week here on the Onstage Blog Network. Sometimes even twice a week. Uh, for instance, in a couple of days, I'm just going to tease this right now, Tracy. You might like this. Uh, we are doing Mamma Mia ah, on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's needless to say, I'm, I'm I'm interested in this in doing this. I don't know how it's going to go. I haven't seen the movie in a couple of years, uh, but I'm 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 really interested in doing Mamma Mia next. And then after that, we are finally going to break the seal on the Disney movie musical, you know, treasure trove, so to speak. And we're going to kick things off with Hercules in a couple of weeks as well. So that'll be that'll be coming up. So a lot of stuff coming up on the movie musical shakedown, and you can hear all of this on the on stage pod network. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. Once thank again, you. thank you, Chris. I really, I was really happy to be able to be here to do this. Oh my gosh. No, it was fantastic. And, um, and like I said, we will be doing this again soon folks. So have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. And we will see you right here on the movie musical shakedown. Talk to you soon. How about a chef? And in the end, should someone die? <laughs> my arms complete. I bet you want to know why I shot the bastard. You're fucking mad. I hold a PhD in horribleness. <laughs>